chapter 3. We're going to buzz around the Word of God a little bit today, but um, we're going to start at 1 John chapter 3. <coughs> and today I want to talk about love, real love, genuine love, practical love for God. Why don't you just bow your eyes and, and, and let's just pray for a moment. Lord, so many of us say we love you, but Father, I pray this morning that you would really call us to task on that, that we would demonstrate what we speak of, that we would really show this hurting world the love of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Some of you may remember this. Join me if you do. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, all my soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ear, Lord, may we be a sweet sound in your ear this morning. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That song popped in my head because lots of people talk about love these days. If you turn on the television, all the television shows, they're dealing with love. But English is such a terrible language to express love in. Uh, other languages have several words for what we have the one word for. So Greek, for example... There's four words to express. In fact, some even say there's seven words to express different kinds of love. I'm not going to go through those this morning. But in English, we have the one word. So you say the same word. I love my wife. I love Vegemite. You know, I love Jesus. I love the Broncos. You know what? It's the same word. But clearly, my love for Vegemite is far less than my love for my wife. Or you'd want to hope so. As good as Vegemite is. So... We often talk about love, and there'll be people, if, if, we, if we went around this room and said, do you love God, almost all of us would say yes, even if we didn't understand it. We would all say yes, but <coughs> when it comes to love, action speaks louder than words. Sometimes what we do speaks so loudly, people can't hear what we say. 1 John 3 verse 18, John is addressing this. He says, little children, let us not love with word or in talk, but with deeds and in truth. And I think there's a great message there. So often we say stuff, but our life does not demonstrate what we are claiming. Today, I want to examine what loving God really is and take a focus on how practical it can and should be. You can say it. You can even believe that you love God. But is your love real? Is it tangible? Does it amount to anything in the long run? A recent survey by the National Church Life Survey concluded that just over half of Australians believe in God or a higher power, but less than one in five go to church at least once a month. And that is way that was done before COVID. So since COVID, in fact, the American figures are saying that one in three people have dropped out of church entirely during COVID and numbers in church are down 30 to 50%. So people can say, I love God, I love God, I love God, but they're not going to church. They're not demonstrating it in any other way they're just saying it now I'm not saying going to church is is loving God because we're going to deal with that in a minute but it's kind of part of the package if you're going to love someone you should show it so the conclusion is that many people say they love God but you just wouldn't know it because it's like mental assent I believe that I love God 
but it doesn't change their life. There's no product. You can't tell if they love God by their speech or by their actions. You can't tell, you know, they might obey a bunch of Christian laws, but that's not loving God. We're going to look at that in a minute. So let's talk about the law for a minute because a lot of people get stuck on this and even Christians who believe in grace get stuck on the law sometimes because that's, that's how we're sort of wired as people. So I'm going to use a pun here. I want to talk about what the law expects. I'm going to have a few egg puns here. But for decades, people have been told that loving God, if you really love God, you're going to obey a bunch of rules. And for decades, Christians have backed that up by being very quick to judge and being very legalistic. Don't say it's not true. We all know it is. Have you grown up in churches or spent time in churches where it's been all about you must, you must, you mustn't? You know, back in the day, women were not allowed to wear makeup to church or anywhere else. If they said, if you love God, you won't wear makeup. What a load of rot. I like when women wear makeup. I think it looks good, you know. Um, you weren't allowed to go to the movies because the movies were evil. You know, this is all these, but all this legalism back then, it, it doesn't amount to hill of beans now because it doesn't, we don't even believe that stuff anymore. There was a time when, when if, if, you, if you wore, ladies, if you wore stockings with seams down the back, that was considered ungodly because it was too provocative. I don't know what it was provoking, but it was, it was considered too provocative. So, for decades, we've had all these legal standards in place. But let's have a look at what Jesus says about, about this. Mark chapter 7, verse 6 to 9. Uh, if you've got our, our app, all of this stuff is on the app as well, all the Bible verses, and you can take notes and everything as well. So if you've got the app, it's a great place to be. It's under notes. This is what Jesus says. He quotes Isaiah. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, this is Jesus talking to the, the, the Pharisees and scribes at the time. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And he didn't pull any punches there. He's saying, you know, you guys claim to love God by all these things that you're doing and these rules you're keeping. But the reality is you love the rules more than you love the king. And legalism is like that. It cherishes outward obedience to certain rules over genuine relationship. A true relationship with God balances the two together. Now, what, what's this business about the egg? Uh, apart from it's making me hungry, but, you know, looking at the egg. See, if you have all rules and no experience if you have that legal you're just like the shell of an egg but there's nothing inside you remember back in school days you used to put a little hole in it and suck all the insides out so you could paint it for an easter egg that's a that's you 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 would just be a shell but there's nothing inside but on the flip side if you're all about experiences and you have no rules whatsoever then you're just like the white of the egg just gooing everywhere you see for a balanced Christian life, you get you need both. You do need some rules and structure, but you also need the life within you. And sometimes as Christians, we stray one side or the other. We don't do the two together. So let's boil it down. What's the law boiled down to? Well, I love the way that Jesus, Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I love the way he takes this whole question of what, how to balance rules and all. He takes all of the law 
all 613 laws of the, the Jewish misvot, all 613 commandments they had, he boils it down to two core values. Mark chapter 12, verse 28, listen to this. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he, he asked, which commandment is the most important of all? That's what the scribe asked Jesus. Jesus answered, the most important is this. Quoting from Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. There are no greater commandments than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more important than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus looked at this man and he said, saw that he had answered wisely and he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This is a scribe. This is a, a, a guy just seeped in the law. But he could see that Jesus was right. If you take all of the law and you boil it down, it boils down to two basic core values. Love God, love people. That's what it is. Love God and love people. And you can't separate those. Because if you love God, you will love people. You know, you, you can't say, well, I love God, but I hate people. That doesn't really work. You've got to have both. So let's talk a little bit about this. I love God and man, says Jesus. He quoted in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Is that the Lord? Tell him I'm coming. Um, he explained logically that if you love God this way, obedience to all the other commandments just flows out of it. If you love God, then obedience to the commandments and loving mankind, they all flow together. What Jesus is saying is what the love that God wants is practical and it's, it's devoted love. It's, not de it's devoted to Him. It's not devoted to a set of rules. But as people, as men, we love rules. But He's saying obedience flows from love the primary thing God asks anybody who truly believes in Christ and receives salvation is that, he, is that he love his God. But it's expressed also in loving mankind around. So loving God is the vertical thing. I love God. But then there's a horizontal thing. I also love man. Look at that. It's a cross. I feel like the Pope, but it's a cross. There's a vertical aspect. There's a horizontal aspect. And so that's what loving God is best expressed. God's love for us is best expressed on the cross. That's where God actually shows, demonstrates the love that he's talking about. So Paul also loves God and man as well. Let's look at what Paul said. Romans 13, Paul writes this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this world word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So here's the thing, if we claim to love God, yet we harbor unforgiveness and anger and, and hurt and all that sort of stuff, then something is clearly wrong. We need to realize that our love for people and our community, for our friends, for our neighbors, for the people around us, is a reflection of our love for God. 
and it flows from it. As Paul said in Galatians 5, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? We make things so complicated. 613 laws they had figured out from the Torah. From the first five books of the Bible, they had 613 laws that Jews had to keep to fulfill the law. And that's why it's impossible. Jesus boils it down to two. So Jesus said it, Peter and Paul said it, and God has said it all along. From the very beginning, God wanted relationship, but people chose rules. Think of the Garden of Eden. God wanted relationship. He had uh, Adam and Eve there. He wanted to walk with them. He wanted to converse with them. He loved them. He wanted to be loved back. But they chose sin and severed that relationship. God has always wanted you. He doesn't just want your outward obedience. He wants you. He wants you to genuinely love him. Not just go through a bunch of rules and, and obey them. And when we talk religious rules, we always talk about the Ten Commandments. You know, the, the Ten Commandments is in Exodus chapter 20. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments? Most of us are. It's not just a movie with Charlton Heston. It is an actual thing. And the Ten Commandments is the basis of our Western judicial system. All of our laws, all of our courts are based on the Ten Commandments. But here's an interesting thing. If you read through that passage in Exodus 20 and you get to the end of the Ten Commandments, something very interesting happens. Let me pick it up from verse 18. So this is immediately after the Ten Commandments are given. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know, you shall not murder, shall not, etc., etc. Immediately after, this is the passage immediately after. Look what happens. <coughs> now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet on the, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood afar off and they said, Moses, you speak and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you. The fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. But the people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. You see what happened there? God said, come closer. He said, come on in. Come on in. Yeah, it's a little scary, but he said, come. I want, come, we can, we can have a relationship together. And the people said, whoa, that's too, I don't want that stuff. I don't want relationship. Just Moses, you go and have the relationship stuff and then come back and tell us what we're supposed to do. We choose law over relationship. That's where it happened right there. Just give us a bunch of stuff to do because we cannot fathom actually being in relationship. Mo, you go and check it out and you let us know and we'll do whatever you say. But God continues to seek relationship so much so that he sent his son to bridge the gap so he could reestablish relationship with us. That's how important relationship is to God. That's how important true love is to God. James 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Then it says this, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Notice that purity and, and repentance, getting rid of sin, is a prerequisite to knowing God. And in our modern society, we dress up God the way we want and say, well, that's the God that I love. But is it the God who is real? You cannot tolerate sin in your life and still have a close relationship with God. It severs it. Psalm 66, 
Verse 18, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You know, we as a nation, we as people, we need to repent and get our hearts right before God because God is still reaching out to us in love. But if we continue to turn away from Him and do our own thing, we are in sin and we cannot have the, the sort of relationship He wants. Um, if you're doing the Bible reading plan, which I hope you are, uh, it's right up to Galatians. And I was reading in Galatians just a day or two ago, Paul explaining to them how the law works by compulsion from without but grace works from compassion from within so how are we taught to love i mean you know we can talk about love to the cows come home how do we do it what does it look like what's real love look like it's more than just a feeling it's more than just saying nice words there's much more to it so let's look at how jesus defined it which is how deuteronomy defined it and see what it says so you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does it mean to love God with all your heart? Well, heart is the, is the Greek word cardia, as in cardiologist. And so we, we have actually borrowed that word to talk about the heart. And of course, this means that God is the source and the object of your greatest desires and passions. I mean, he's right. You know, when, when we sing songs about the heart, you be in my heart. What are we saying? Have we crawled up and got injected in something and we no we're saying that at our core being we love you that's what we're saying it means that you're completely faithful and devoted to God and that his purposes direct every area of your life the heart is the center of your being and we understand that even in our culture if I say I love you with all my heart it's more powerful than if I say I love you isn't it because I love you with all my heart or if you say someone has broken my heart, what does that mean? It means it's, it's just torn you in two. It's, it's broken at a core level, at, at your inner level. You see, love is not a feeling. It's an act of the will. You may not feel close to God. John mentioned this earlier. You may not feel that his blessing is on you. You may not feel that, that he is near. You may, you, you may feel that he, you may have an incredible longing for him. But if you decide today to say, I want to truly love God I want to put it out there and I want to love God with all my heart then your feelings take a back seat because the fact is you love him and he loves you and it happens with human relationships um, my wife is a counselor is she in here now no she's not good I can say anything I like now um, when you're married to a counselor it's interesting um, I get up in the morning say good, good morning sweetheart how am I feeling today because she knows better than I do I will be careful, Shannon, what I say here because I know there are counsellors present. But being a counsellor, she automatically looks at the heart. And when, when they have couples in that they're counselling that are struggling in their relationship, most times they don't feel love towards one another. And in, in their experience, and in my experience too, is if those two people in the relationship make a decision to love one another, whether they feel it or not, the feelings come later because they've made a decision. And if you decide to love God with all your heart today, even if you don't feel like it, those feelings will come at some point because you've made the decision. The decision is the important thing. Loving God in this way requires a willingness to do anything for Him. Our love for God must be life-directing love, inspired by His love for us. His, he loved us so much, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He what? 
He gave his one and only son. He gave the best of heaven to win you to Christ because he loved you. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. You see, if you love God with this intense, incredible heart love, then all of the other sorts of love follow. And I want to be the guy who prays, not my will, but yours be done. I want to be the guy that is the 100% in guy. Lord, I will do anything for you, anything. I was talking to someone the other day who um, uh, had a ministry in Africa and they said, as some of us have, Lord, I'll go anywhere, just don't send me to Africa. (laughs) And he had a ministry in Africa. But see, real love says, even though I don't want to go, I'll do it. I'll do it because I love you. The second thing is loving God with all your soul. So love God with all your heart, with all your soul. It's the Greek word psyche. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? You heard that word? Psychologist? Psycho? You know? It has to do with your deepest longings, your emotions and convictions, which must be focused on Christ to bring honor to Him. See, the soul is, can be described as the core of you. It's the real you. We often divide it up and we say, well, it's the, the, the mind, will, and emotions. And psychology is the study of that. In our Western world, especially in churches, listen to me, we don't do emotion very well, do we? Am I right? Especially in our Western world. Talking to a, a brother earlier from India. They do emotion a lot better than we do. We are staid and old and too English, I think. Um, stiff upper lip and all that sort of stuff. You know, we are. We, we Typically, we check our emotions on the way in and we pick them up on the way out and we sit here in church like blank, like a, like a hunk of, of stone. Now, you take the same guy who the previous night was watching the football and was screaming his head off and crying and, and, and you know, cheering and all this. So you put him in church like... Praise the Lord. Looking around. Does anybody see me? Like, we don't, we don't do hand raising. We kind of just go, you know. But it's, it's the way we're wired in our society. We don't do emotion very well. But, of course, the, the, the Eastern cultures do it very, very well. And, of course, in the nation of Israel, they're very emotional people. Haven't you ever wondered why they get upset and they put sackcloth on and pour ashes on their head? It's because they're demonstrating that. They're very emotional. He, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 32 verse 41. God says this, I will rejoice in doing them good. There's that favor you talked about, John. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and my soul. You see, God is very emotional towards us, but when it comes to us, back to Him, it's like, whoa, maybe not. Do you remember falling in love? Some of you may never have experienced that, but I certainly have. Do you remember falling in love? I guarantee you there were emotions involved. Am I right? I guarantee you. It was, you know, I mean, it's sort of like, gee, um, got nothing better to do so you want to get married is that how it happened those of you who are married oh look I I had 10 things to do today and I've done them already so we might as well get married I suppose you know it's very Australian isn't it (laughs) 
you know, I remember a guy went in for counselling with his wife. And, uh, and the guy said to him, you know, what, what's wrong with your marriage? And the woman said, he never tells me he loves me. I said to the man, is that true? He said, listen, I told her I loved her when I got married. And if I change my mind, I'll let her know. That's not good enough. Love, is, it has to be emotional. When I proposed to Fiona, and she's not in the room so I can say this. When I proposed to Fiona, she was visiting uh, my place up here in Maribor, And I wrote a song to ask her to marry me. And I carved, Fiona, will you marry me in a big old mango tree? I did that. I confess. Oh, I was a little emotional at the time. I still am. You know, it's, it's, if, if you take emotion out of things, it just all the life just falls out of it. We need to show emotion towards God. I want to encourage you this morning as we wrap things up, fall in love with God because He loves you. He's in love with you. Why don't you fall in love with Him? So today, despite your Greco-English stiff upper lip conservatism, I'm going to ask you to boldly go where no man has ever gone before in Australia and fall in love with God properly. Seriously. The third thing is love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Greek word for mind is dianoia. And this means that serving God is not just a matter of feelings. So we talk about feelings and we laugh because we probably need that. But it's also a matter of intellect. Coming to God doesn't mean you check your brain out and throw it away. Those of you who, who know God would realize that intellectually it makes sense. If you go through and look at the proofs of the Bible, it makes sense. And so we need to love God with all of our mind. <coughs> but that means that we want to try and pre- please Him with every decision we make. With everything we do. So many times we make decisions we don't think about God. We just make the decision. And that Greek word means thoughts and understanding. So loving God's not blind faith. It is informed, researched, and well thought out. It means basing the decisions you make in your life on His Word. Loving God with all your mind requires that you know right from wrong. And beyond what you feel, you decide that you will do right. So there is intellect involved. And while I'm encouraging you to feel emotions and fall in love with God, (coughs) I don't want emotions to rule your life. We don't want just an emotional experience. Christianity is built on solid historical fact. And I could sit here for a couple of hours and take you through solid historical fact as to why the Bible is the Word of God, why we know Jesus came and died and was resurrected. It stands on solid fact. But so often we allow evil to enter and influence our mind. And if you need proof that evil can influence mind, have a look at society today. I mean, whatever your opinions on what's going on, you have never seen such misinformation as we are seeing out there. Experts, media, governments, opinions, everybody's so confused today. Loving God with all your mind means guarding your mind. I love that verse in Philippians 4, (coughs) verses 7 to 8. It says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. But then it says this, very next verse says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence or anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
What is that saying? It's saying loving God with all your mind means you don't put junk into your head. You don't put lies and all the stuff that you see around you into your head. Don't even permit, don't even give it a chance. In Colossians, it talks about taking every thought captive. And we just don't do that. Where, you know, if, when you sit in front of the television or the internet, your mind is like an open chasm. And whatever is on there just gets fed straight in. And we've got to be a lot more careful than that. This might mean turning off that TV show. It might mean not watching horror movies like the 6.30 News, if you're a Skyhooks fan. You know, it might mean not visiting that website or not reading that magazine. We need to protect our minds. If we're going to love God, love Him with your mind and protect it. It's important that we monitor what goes in. The fourth thing, love God with all your, your um, heart, soul, mind and strength. It's the, word, the Greek word iskis, which means power, might or ability. That means your best efforts and energies go into serving God and promoting His purposes. Colossians 1 verse 29, Paul writes this, For this I struggle, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It also means we have to be willing to persevere in, your, in our faith no matter the circumstances. So many times people, you know, we, we talk about having strength and longevity, but when it comes to the things of God, we just don't do that. We give up easy. Psalm 73 verse 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, your strength might fail, but honestly, we invest so much time and money and effort and energy into things that have no eternal consequence. I'm not saying don't invest time in those things. I'm saying we need a balance because we need to keep in mind the things of God. We strive to build businesses to build homes and families we build our bodies we build our reputation we work hard and rightly so but how much energy do we invest into the kingdom of God I meet people who work really hard and they say I just haven't got 10 minutes to spend in a quiet time in the morning with God that's not right you got the whole day to work hard give him the best of it start investing a you know a few minutes of a day reading the Bible, Bible reading plan, a few minutes to pray, a few hours to come on a Sunday or a Tuesday night or whatever it is. Just invest your energy so that it makes sense in eternity. Most of the things our energy goes into will dissipate at the end of time. Loving God with all your strength means giving everything to serve Him, no matter the cost, no matter the pain, no matter how long it takes. Philippians 4, Paul writes this, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. What a strange verse for 21st century living. We are so not content, are we? We whinge and whine and complain about everything these days. I know how to be brought low, says Paul, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who give me strength. We love that. Life. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. My youngest daughter, she, she adopted that verse and she started to do the splits. She was going to do the split. I'm not going to demonstrate it, but she was going to do the splits and she was getting closer and she used to say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength and she would do the splits. That's what it meant to her. And we're like that. We apply this verse wherever we want to, but it comes at the end of a passage that says, hey, I know what it is to, get, to have a lot, to have nothing. 
I know what it is to have success and to have failure. I know what it is to have hunger and to have abundance. You see, when it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, it's talking about persevering through those times. It's not just taking that verse and adapting it to whatever you want. It's talking about persevering. So how does this practical love for God work itself out? And, and I believe it's what this world needs, don't you? This world desperately needs it. This confused, fearful, wayward world right now desperately needs the love of God. And it fails to recognize the love of God because most of us are so half-hearted about it that it barely reflects on them. We, they don't treat the church seriously because they see us as hypocrites. So I believe we need to change and get serious about loving God. Are you with me? Because now, this is the greatest moment in Australia's history of the church in Australia. Because the, this nation has been closed for a lot, but it has never been as open as it is now to the gospel. People are desperate. People are scared. People are wondering. People are questioning. And we are dropping the ball because we are not loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. I believe it's time we step up, don't you? It's time we do it. Ephesians 5, Paul writes this, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Walk in love with God and with man, with heart, mind, soul and strength, totally devoted to God. Colossians 3, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, See if this sounds like you. Kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bearing with one another. And if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what we're talking about this morning. If we truly love God, it needs to be reflected in our life. And I believe that God right now in this place and other places too, is growing something incredible. We have, a, we have the biggest opportunity in our history to love our nation. And we're, we're busy complaining about stuff we don't get around to loving. That's got to change. I'm going to ask you to put your heart where your mouth is and to say, yes, I'm going to love God. But like building any relationship, it's not a one-off. You can't say, I love you on your wedding day and not say it again for 30 years. You should say it every day. My friend Bill Newman, when he, when he uh, teaches on marriage, he says to uh, the people that he's, that he's speaking to in a seminar, he says, I'm going to teach you two golden phrases. You need to use them a lot. The first one is to say, I'm sorry. Because... You know, we blow it. Yes, even you guys, you blow it sometimes. So learn to say, I'm sorry. Do you remember Fonzie? I'm, I'm, he could never get the word out. We need to not be like that. We need to say to one another, the people we love, I'm sorry. And the second thing is to say, I love you. You can say that if you're creative, you can say it in a hundred ways. The only thing is don't run the two together. I'm sorry, I love you. That does not work. But say them both often. And why don't we say them to God as well? You know, I know most of you love God. But let's be honest, sometimes we just drift. Sometimes that love grows a little cold. And I believe we have the opportunity here right now 
to fall in love with him again. If you've ever watched a romantic movie, I know some of you guys haven't. Occasionally, occasionally I watch a, a romantic movie. Fiona says, this is a great movie, you've got to see it. So has it got explosions or zombies? No, don't think so. But if you ever watch romantic movies, something in your heart leaps, doesn't it? Something in your heart melts. Have you ever cried in a movie? Guys, have you ever cried in a movie? <coughs> I remember I was flying on a, a, a trip to Darwin with the Bill Newman team. I had my sound guy next to us, good friend. And I was watching Mr. Holland's Opus. And it's such a great movie. And at the end, they were playing all this music and there were tears rolling down. And I'm looking out the window going, I hope you, don't, I hope you can't see. <laughs> well, we're like that. We try and hide our emotions. But I believe sometimes when you just say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Some of you may have never asked Jesus into your life. If you do, it's the greatest experience of love you will ever experience. But for those of you who have asked the Lord into your life, I believe it's time that we have to reestablish that first love. Revelation 2, Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where, from where you've fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. I believe it's time for us to recapture that first love, don't you? It's time for us to rekindle that and to say, Lord, I love you. It's time to just fall in love with him again. Would you bow your heads? I know the Lord is speaking to people's hearts this morning. And Father, I pray that you would just, just lay open the heart, just strip back all of the veneer that we put on our hearts that we don't want people to see us. Lord, just strip that back, I pray, and just speak right into our spirits. Some of you here may have never asked the Lord into your life, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you've not been living for him. I want to give you the opportunity to, to fall in love with him again, or for the first time. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, this is for you. This will transform your life. You will not know yourself in six months' time or a year's time if you ask Jesus into your life and fall in love with him. So if you've never done it, pray these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry I've sinned. Forgive me. And right now I ask you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you for making me part of your family. If you prayed that for the first time or the first time in a long time, just shoot your hand up wherever you are and put it down quickly. We won't prolong this, but if that's you, just do that very quickly and put it down. Now for the rest of us, most of us, I want to give you an opportunity to fall in love with God to fall in love with him again with all your heart all your soul all your mind and all your strength I'm going to be praying this prayer I want to encourage you to, to pray it with me say it with me just say this Lord forgive me for wandering away forgive me for growing cold 
right now Lord Jesus I fall in love with you again with all of my heart all of my mind all of my soul and all of my strength wrap your arms around me and fill me with the joy that comes from being in love again and again let's stand together